pet peeves, deal breakers, let's talk about them. I have no idea why I'm starting a podcast like this. Except that I went on a walk and I saw a man on a scooter and it triggered something in me. I do see men on scooters sometimes, but I just lost all the respect. And I was like, oh, okay, this would be a deal breaker for me. If I was to start dating a guy, I'm married, it will not happen, it's fine. <laughs> I, can, I can fantasize about things that will not happen. If I was to start dating a guy and then they were to just be like, oh my god, yeah, let's go ride scooters, I'd be like, okay, I think we're done. You, you're great. It's not you, it's me. It's the scooter. It's none of us. It's Scoot's fault. So, of course, then I started thinking, where does the expression pet peeve originate from? And, well, Google. Google never disappoints. First of all, the example that it gives me at the beginning of the definition on the dictionary page thing is one the example in the sentence is one of my biggest pet peeves is poor customer service. Like, really, bitch. Like, you wake up day to day, right? And you're like, I have so little issues in life. So few things annoy me that uh, let me just get on a customer service call so that something finally triggers some annoyance in me. Really? That's your biggest pet peeve? What is yours? Podbam.gmail.com. So there's this list, the second thing in the drop down menu. <laughs> food tappers is number one on this list. Are you okay? Who the fuck? Like, how many food tappers? Like, are people tap dancing in your environment? <laughs> Because that would be the logical conclusion of this. Otherwise, what? Am I not aware that people are just sitting there, like, tapping while sitting? Okay, come. Second is people with obnoxious laughs, which, like, I can get. I listen to so many podcasts. Some of the ways that people laugh make me, like, actually really thankful for my silent laughter. Or the thing that I do into the microphone. Yeah, you should be thankful, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Three is people using your belongings without asking. Okay, but, like, these are not, like, first world problems. Like, where is, like, picking the nose? Okay, dishes in the sink. The juice is finished. <laughs> this is the juice is finished. <laughs> Clicking the pen. Okay, cool. I get this. Okay, then there's another list which has loud chewing. Cool. I get that. What I hate is like people um, pulling like their boogies into their nose, back into their nose. That thing drives me mad. <laughs> that thing's like, I can slap you. I can slap a bitch. That's, that's the one thing where I'm like, now blow your nose. Blow your fucking nose. People who are chronically late. I like being early, so... And everybody else is always late, so fuck it. <laughs> this is particular. People who scuff their feet as they walk down the street, especially if they're wearing Uggs. <laughs> this is like an attack on Uggs, I feel. This is personal. Ah, God. Okay, there's so many lists of this. I could do a whole fucking episode on this, but I will not. But then what I realized when I actually went onto Wikipedia to see, like, the history of the expression, it comes from the word peevish, well, the adjective peevish, meaning ornery or ill-tempered. And the pet peeve as a term actually started being used with this comic strip, The Little Pet Peeve, that was portrayed in Chicago Tribune. In 1916, so well, from 1916 to 1920. And it had King's little pet peeves with humorous critiques of generally faultless behaviors and nuisance frustrations. And then people were like, hey, these are King's pet peeves. And then just pet peeves persisted. persisted. Also, this is the only time when, like, it's something clicked in my brain, you know, like Harry Potter, the poltergeist peeves. This is why he was called peeves, because peeves. Yes, I'm a huge Potterhead. You can never stop me. I like I 
cannot. I cannot hate her enough to ever stop being a potterhead. Cool. Now that we have that clarified, hi, I'm your host, Maya. You're not lost, but although you might think by now, because it's been, what, like five minutes. When we're talking about pet peeves, it's just on my mind. It's important. And then if it's on my mind, it's on yours. This is by all means necessary. We get to the bottom of things. By all means necessary here. You could really say that, yeah. And oh, look at this. I'm channeling my new merch and yes i never wear bras deal with it and also start watching this on youtube cool well <laughs> this is a podcast episode and it usually covers true crime and this is the month of royals so let's just focus for a second let's just snap out of this fucking unfocused mind have a breather and then regroup and come back to cover the royal pet bitch the pet bitch in the family every family has that one person that is just a wild card and boy, royalty did have her own wild card. Mm, you're gonna learn today. Cool, regrouped, calm down, yes. If we are still thinking in terms of the crown, in terms of what the crown has covered and what they haven't, this is the story that people were pissed. Well, okay, fanatics, people who are really into royal family were pissed that this one was left out. Because it's a story of Princess Anne. And Princess Anne, well, let's just put it that way. Isn't, like, the first person when you, that you think about when you think about royal family. And this story is going to prove to you that maybe she should be. Maybe she is the golden egg. She's the wild card. She's the hidden gem of this freaking family. And that's the story of her kidnapping. Technically, it should have happened somewhere, like, be at the end of, like, last season... In the beginning of this one, so people kind of thought, like, okay, cool, beginning of season four, they're gonna feed this in. And then they just ignored the whole last plot, which I don't get why. I know that it wouldn't make sense like Michael Fagan's story last week, where, you know, they can fit it into Mar Margaret Thatcher and all of that, like politics in the UK. But still, it will make for a good, it's like attempted kidnapping. It will make for a good TV. Like, yo, <laughs> what are you doing? Why does Crown, like, disappoint? And why do we go back to it all over again? Because it has good actors. Yeah, that's why. Cool. Now <laughs> that we established that. I actually have a quote for the Crown's historian. <laughs> the Crown, the show has a historian that is just picking and choosing and choosing the wrong facts and how we dramatize them. So, hey, that's comforting, I guess. He said that they had to choose what was significant. Wow. Way to fucking put a stab in the princess's back, you know? And while he acknowledged that this was an incredibly important story, he said it just didn't fit the timeline, the stories they wanted to tell, and the characters they wanted to develop. So basically, let's just not develop her story at all, because the whole focus should be on Diana. Nobody wins. That is it. This is why I'm here, to tell you the most important story of the royal family. Let's go. In March 1974, Ian Ball ambushed the car that was driving Princess Anne and tried to get rid of every obstacle to get to her by all means necessary. His plan to kidnap the princess didn't deem to be successful, but it brought the attention to the flaws of the security within the royal family. What were his motives? Every single time, my every single time!
there was always that part that like one thing after the music finishes once it goes into do 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 that I just I just lose it. I'm like, okay, this is the finalizing part. I treat everything as a performance. Everything is a play, especially since this is a visual now, and you should all go to YouTube just to see what dumb shit I do while the fucking intro music is playing. And then I do a similar thing for the outro. Everything is connected, really, in this in this world. Yes, I'm using middle finger to tap the phone like I'm fucking 50. Cool. What you gonna do about it? Today, you're in the shoes of Princess's security inspector, James Beaton, because he was the legend. I mean, there's so many legends in this story that just came to aid, but it also kind of showed like a really slow-mo breakdown of events and really showed all the flaws in the security for the royal family. March 20th, 1974. You know, what, what were you? Where were you? Where were you? Were you born? Were you planned to be born? Were you... Were your parents still young? Was your mom just born five years ago? So you were definitely not even in the making because she was just made. Well, Anne was only about four months into her marriage and she was returning to Buckingham Palace in this typically royal car for the time. She was returning with her husband, Captain Mark Phillips, from the charity event. When when the car pulled up and kind of parked in front of it, forcing the royal car to stop at Pall Mall. What you should know about this night is that she was only assigned one bodyguard to protect her, but also at the time only one bodyguard accompanied Queen Elizabeth to and from the residence at the time as well. So maybe they didn't have like priority. I wanted to be like, okay, so they didn't have the priority straight. And then I read this, I was like, okay, they were just wrong. No accounts. I mean, remember that uninformed guard story from last week? Truly, it does seem like... They were just like, okay, cool, yeah. People can climb the drain pipes. It's all chill in here. One person, yeah, who am I? I'm just the queen. Like, yeah, everybody has one bodyguard only. I don't want to raise any fuss. You're like, but maybe you should, like, you know, your majesty. Like, it's it's fine. It's justified if you raise the fuss. <laughs> also, the palace heavily publicized Princess Anne's appearance at this event. And that kind of can make it easy for somebody to know where she's going, where she's coming from, and to intercept. Paul Mall, as my fellow Londoners will know, is like that road going between Trafalgar Square and Buckingham Palace. It's kind of like nothingness. It's just like a road, and then it's like, you know, the trees, and then like the park is just there. But technically, it's that for a reason, because obviously people are going into the Buckingham Palace, like tourists are passing by, or it is for different parades conducted by the royal family. So that makes me feel, especially 1974, even today, like that's the road that you will mostly find empty. It makes for like a nice walk, makes for a nice long promenade, but it's not crammed. So about 200 yards away from the palace, this white Ford Escort just overtook and forced the car to stop. So now you, security officer, Inspector James Beaton, you just leap into action. You're like, shit, what is this? You get out of the car... And you immediately use your gun, because back then they could still use guns. So you use the gun to disarm Ian Ball, who apparently is in that white car in front of you. But, 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 unluckily for you, Inspector, your gun jammed and the shots never fired. So instead, 
that gives Ian the opportunity because he has the firearm as well. Of course, this is America in 1974, except it's here in the UK. Like, so, a snippet away from Buckingham Palace. A little, what's the word? A snowball away. It's not a snowball, a snowball away. I'm trying to remember the expression. It will come to me, will come to me at the most inappropriate moment, as you know. James later said that he actually got out of the car first and tried to go and investigate. And he said he thought it was somebody who wanted to be pain in the neck. Again, super British expressions this month all around. But he said there was no hint of what was to happen. Now, okay, imagine this is a slow-mo movie, right? So Ball should be beaten. Beaten is now on the ground, but he's not giving up. He's cramming himself into the car and trying to go, like and protect, basically, the princess and uh, Captain Mark Phillips, like, who are in the back. However, a ball at this time is by the side of the car where the princess is, and he's trying to basically open up the car and, well, try to get the princess to get out. However, <laughs> because you, James Beaton, you just don't give up, Ball is now like, okay, he's still a threat. He's still not allowing me to get to my actual target. So you get shot again for a hand this time because you're technically trying to protect the princess. And then, because that's not enough, he shoots you through the abdomen. And you're still kicking. You're now like technically fallen outside of the car, but you're still trying to get in and to advise the princess and to not get this guy get to her. Also, in the statement later, you, James, will say, I felt tired and very drunk. Although I hadn't been drinking, I just wanted to lie down. Yeah, you were shot three times, you legend. Like, I guess if I was shot three times, I'd just fucking collapse and be like, fuck this princess and this royalty, man. Like, I'm dead. Like, this is it. This is my life. It's gone. Finally reached the meditation point where my brain is clear. It's not thinking about anything, is it? Andy Paddycomb, you win today. Wow. <laughs> Ian Ball still doesn't stop. He still has bullets left. He's now seeing everybody as this obstacle from him getting to the actual target. So what he does is he next shoots the chauffeur. So he shoots the driver. Same with Alex Callender. Now, luckily, at the time, as we know, the press and tabloids were obsessed with... The royalty and also there were no like real regulations about what they should do. This is why we have all of these pictures, by the way. Luckily, actually, at the time, like Pomo wasn't as empty as you might find it today. So next, Brian McConnell, who was a tabloid journalist that was following the royal couple, actually came to the rescue. But also, I noticed him. He shoots Brian to the chest as well. Then he goes finally to the princess. He's like, hey, so yeah, I'm planning to kidnap you. And she's like, oh, no shit. Like, yeah, there's like three men shot. Like, are we okay? So he told her, please come out. You've got to come. To which, and, and this is why when I read this part, I was like, I need to cover this story. I need to look into Princess Anne's life because this bitch is a badass. So she looked at him and she just refused telling him, not bloody likely. The most British expression and just the most on point because this is what you gotta do. Like, not about the likely. She's like, yo, I know true crime. I know you never are too supposed to get me to a secondary location. I ain't coming with you, freak. Like, keep shooting, bitch. Like, not bloody likely. Everything that was hidden in that expression that I have just developed for you. So once she recalled this interview in 1980, she said, like, they sort of had a discussion because he was technically just literally standing at the side of the car. Mark Phillips, like the captain, the husband, was kind of trying to pull her away and Ian is trying to pull in a different direction. So people were obviously like, okay, what the hell was happening? What were you talking about? 
She said we sort of had a discussion about where or where not we're going to go. Quote, I was scrupulously polite because I thought it was silly to be rude at that stage. I just love it. She's like this. Just didn't want to provoke him. It was silly. It would be silly. Look at this man. It would be silly. Like, it's me and then it's him. Like, silly. But then, Bull kind of became aggressive. And those were, like, some of the pictures that you would see, which is when, like, he would grab her arm and try to, like, tackle her to the floor. And Mark is kind of pulling and tugging, like, onto the the other side. So it's kind of like a tug of war, like, between her husband and the kidnapper. And Anne to this said that the back of her dress split, and that was the most dangerous moment. I lost my rag at that stage. <laughs> it's just like, because this was so slow-mo when I was picturing it and what those pictures portrayed. And I was like, this is so underwhelming and just so badass at the same time. And also, I'm sorry, Anne, I love you to bits. But uh, I'm not sure that I had all the respect for Captain Mark Phillips at all of that time. So I don't know what I would do in those situations, right? Like, would you get out of the car? Would you then, like, go to grapple him? Because you know you're going to be shot. But then it kind of looks like shitty when you're just, like, literally sitting still next to your wife. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. The most famous picture that I'm showing to you, like, why this YouTube video just kind of looks like, yeah, he's pulling her, but kind of looks like he's hiding behind her. He's not, but you get what I mean. It's just like no action. Like, three men are shot dead. You are not. So, um, it's all fine. She divorced him. She married somebody else. She knew. She knew. She, she's into true crime. I respect Princess Anne. Listen, Princess Anne interview, yeah? <laughs> Princess Anne, yeah, imagine. It's the way that this podcast would just completely, like, change. If I had a member of the royal family on this podcast, yeah, that would be something different. You could say, you could say so, yeah, different, yeah. <laughs> so now her dress is accidentally just ripped and kind of like falling and Mark is there like trying to pull her dress and you're like, priorities, Mark, like priorities, Captain, mate. She said now, like obviously because he's like trying to, yeah, open the door, like pull her out. It was fairly low-key discussion about the fact that I wasn't going to go anywhere and wouldn't it be much better if you just went away and we all would forget about it, which was, as it turned out, wishful thinking for him. I mean, she, she lived telltale, she chilled, she chilled out, he got the wrong end of the stick. To which Captain Phillips, like, once they were recounting this event, said, like, Princess was obstinate with the kidnapper, and he said, I was frightened, I don't mind admitting it. I am all for vulnerability, but you didn't look your pets, mate, there are three people that are ride or die for your wife, and you are not one of them. I'd be pissed, and I know that a lot of you out there would also be pissed, and be like, well, why didn't you? Why not, like, then try to put your body, like, in front of me? Try to step in, be like, listen, I'm dying, fuck it. How can you? It's it's all about respect, right? It's all about what, what I said at the beginning of this video. Saw a man on the scooter, lost all respect. <laughs> Saw Captain Mark Phillips in this situation, lost all respect. It's all about that. Because some things are not even true crime, it's just common sense. Like, if you see somebody, you know, like you're driving with your partner, right? These easy tips to determine is the guy for you or not. Let's say you're driving with, like, you know, your new boyfriend or whatever. You see a victim on the street. Do you stop? Do you not? They don't like the fucking... It's not even that they're into true crime. It's just, what is their problem? You're in a dangerous situation. How do they act? If they act like this guy, well... Fuck it, just man, like, just don't marry, <laughs> don't marry sissies, don't marry people that drive scooters, don't marry people that are like literally protecting you by pulling your dress. 
It's all cool. She didn't know she divorced him as I mentioned. Cool. Oh, good. Now there's a passing pedestrian. This guy is passing by and he just happened to be a former boxer. His name is Ron Russell. And he suddenly figures out, like, there's a person lying outside of the car. They're bloodied. Like, something is happening. This guy is trying to, like, technically approach a car and pull out a member of a royal family. So he punches Bull in the back of the head and he, like, takes the princess and leads her away. At this time, also, a PC, so, like, police officer Michael Hills also just happens to be passing by. However, Ian, because they didn't take his gun away, even though he's knocked out, he finds his gun and he fires a shot and shoots the PC. And he starts running away. He starts running away. He tries to flee. No, because this is still a bad slow-mo movie. <laughs> Michael Hills is radioing the station. But of course, now there's another witness. There's so many people just popping by, be like, oh, this looks dramatic. Something is happening. It's 1974 and nothing is happening usually. Let's get the fuck out of the car. So Ronald Russell, who was a company cleaning executive, was just driving home from work when he saw the scene on the side of the road. So he just approaches as he is trying to meddle in and see, like, who needs help. Then another motorist now pops in. His name is Glenmore Martin. And he parked the car in front of the white forge just in case Bull comes back, that he can't just escape and flee the scene. Now a Daily Mail journalist, John Brian McConnell, comes onto the scene and he also came because he realized that this was a royalty car. He realized like the insignia on the car. He was like, oh, this is royalty. Like This would make for a good story. Also, they must be in danger. So it would definitely make for a good story. Finally, after literally every journalist in town made it to the freaking scene, the police backup arrives and they find Bill like trying to leg it and they arrest him. But they said they have given him a chance and the police there like told him, go on, now's your chance. And he legged it off towards the park and was smothered. <laughs> they were like, listen, this was underwhelming. So let's just at least like, you know, you go try to leg it, like, you know, go try to run, run in a different direction. Come on, Paul, like give us, give us something to brag about in the precinct. Everybody shot was sent to the hospital and they recovered from their wounds. So the aftermath, what did this beautiful slow-mo event bring for the royal family? Immediately after the attack, they ceased having only one production officer. Yeah, that was a smart decision to do. And immediately, like, it was visible from when Anne visited Beaton in the hospital that she was already accompanied by two guards. Also, the type of guns used by bodyguards would change. Like, yeah, it would be great if they didn't just jam when they most needed them. So it was apparently the brand of pistol called Walters, and they got rid of them, like, as the brand that they used as a royal family security service. Also, another thing that they <laughs> came to their attention is that uh, Ian Ball got their information of the whereabouts of the princess by phoning the Buckingham Palace press office. They were just like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's good press, right? All press is, is good press. That's the most bullshit line, by the way, ever, if it ever existed. It's all about pet peeves in this episode, and yeah, all press is good press is just... Such bullshit. It's <laughs> like, especially during this cancel culture. No. Now that they had him in custody, yes, they found he, like, has phoned the press office. But also he rented a home in Hampshire that was about five miles from the Sandhurst Military Academy. That was home of Princess Anne and Captain Phillips. So he said, I thought about it for years. She would have been the easiest. I have seen her riding with her husband. 
<laughs> she was riding horses. Yeah, that was obvious. But I can not say she was saw her riding her husband with her husband. Are you are you becoming British or what? What the fuck? I love how you're witnessing my inner talk and my dirty mind at the same time. Cool. He also said they were getting in my way, so I had to shoot them. Well, the police, that's their job. They expect to be shot. I took a chance of getting shot, so why shouldn't they? <laughs> that is some logic if I have ever seen once. It's like, so, it's all their fault, but also, they should be the risk takers because they're the police. You, just by walking on the street, should realize that you are at the risk of being trampled over every single day. That's the same when it comes to the police. Why? You're the police. You should expect it. Why didn't you expect it? It's your fault. <laughs> it's like Ian Ball's logic is that different than the normal people's logic. Finally, let's go through Ian Ball's plan all along. What did he want to do with the princess? Well, he planned to take her to central London property, which he had rented under an alias, and to demand the ransom of three million. Yeah. Yeah, this is like us with a pell plan. His plan also involved a ransom note to the queen that was to ask her to go to Zurich, so to go to Switzerland, to sign paperwork and exchange the money, which would then be in. So the ransom is to be put in twenty unlocked suitcases, and he typed up this letter to the queen, which stated that she was to travel on the plane. <laughs> with a ransom for authenticity. So they found this in the car and they found a pair of handcuffs and volume tranquilizers as well. <laughs> I put here that this I could only find in one source that he had like the ransom note and volume tranquilizers and stuff, but I love it. <laughs> it's like what's going on in my head when I write this script? I'm like, hey, volume, right? I love it. <laughs> okay, but now help me help me understand his math because if it's 20 unlocked suitcases, right? <laughs> going to Switzerland, going to Zurich. Cool, 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 cool. Queen needs to appear on the plane, all, all understandable so far. She needs to confirm her authenticity of her signatures on the needed paperwork. He thought about that, cool. But he wants three million, split in five pound notes, split in 20 suitcases. How the fuck is that gonna fit? Like, what? What is the logic? This makes me think of those gifts, like when people are trying to do maths and like collect, connect triangles and like do these things. Because I was just thinking about this probably like the whole week. I was like, okay, so 20 suitcases, five pounds notes, three million. Can it be done? <laughs> Can somebody clarify this for me? Can it be done? Because me and my math, I just got. How big are the suitcases? What is the dimension, Ian Ball? What is the dimension, Ian Ball? What is it? We need to know the dimension of the suitcases to figure out this math. Once the detectives hear this, you would probably think like they're thinking like, mm, okay, this guy isn't like super, you know, he isn't like really a mastermind kind of type. He seems to think this is logical, but what if he is connected to like a bigger entity? Because that might make sense. Like this just seems so shitty, like doesn't seem planned, but like was he part of a bigger plot? and they first thought he might have been part of the IRA. He didn't affirm or deny, he said, I have got no friends. I'm a loner. I put a lot of thought and work into it. Clearly, clearly, please. <laughs> it's like, I have a certain level of, I don't know what it is, it's definitely not respect, it's just certain next level of mockery. But also a level of just, I just want to hug these people who try to attack the royalty, because they're just, 
They just think differently. It's just a part of your brain that just works a bit differently. And then you're like, no, but I put the work. I had the plan. It just didn't work. And you're like, oh, you sad, sad man. But he made a valid point. He said, do you think I'm a part of the IRA or something? And they're like, mm, kind of like, it doesn't seem like to be the brains of the operation. If there had been anyone else, they would have helped me at the scene. Which, true. Like, if this was not a lone attack, he would have had, like, some form of help, something, and just this didn't seem... He had, like, the beginning and the end and anything. But they also thought he belonged to other different groups. So because journalists really... I mean, the story wasn't dramatic in itself, right? It's technically a shit story, which I'm telling you here happily. But... They were like, okay, this guy is clearly mentally ill. He's unemployed at the same time. Like, he really masterminded this on his own. There's not much background involved. Like, there's nothing truly to him. And they didn't want to dig this part because that part is not dramatic. Like, if you're a journalist, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, let's look into his mediocre background. It's not like, I don't know, he was killing animals and shit, which would be the cost for journalists to be like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Rather, they were like, no, let's just speculate a bit, like, what organization he could be part of. So the papers would report that one line of his ransom letter to the Queen said, Anne will be shot dead. And obviously, other groups tried to claim responsibility. So there was this Marxist-Leninist activist revolutionary movement that sent a letter claiming responsibility to the Times of London. But Scotland Yard just, like, immediately dismissed any connection. And then an interesting thing happened. Remember SLA and Patty Hearst and like that mini show that I have put on like one Monday it was one of the episodes. Well, SLA in her case said that they would return her to her family if her family donated amounts of millions of dollars of food to the hungry Californians. And well, apparently, Iron Bull here said that he was going to donate the Queen's ransom. So this is why he split it in like five pound notes, logically again to National Health Services or the NHS. And this, for me, I don't know why, like, doesn't make sense. Like, the connection isn't there. He isn't part of the SLA. However, this, for me, just stuck to me so much and technically is what I'm basing the motives of this guy on. He also told the police that he knew, obviously, that the officer, like, the James Beaton will be armed. So he sort of like had to think at the back of his head that he was going to die during this attempt. Because he said like if his gun wasn't to be jammed, I would be dead. Which kind of honestly for me defies, I mean he was definitely mentally ill, but like for me that kind of then defies everything else, right? Because then if you kind of expect to die, how do you expect to kidnap, get all this ransom, all of this? I put you in the shoes of Beaton for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, because he's a fucking hero, like because he did the most really he got like fucking three shots to the chest and survived and like tried to protect the princess by all means necessary but he was also honest about the training for this royal security he said like there were no interviews or training and that like the way he got a job was as if he was just like passing by like a security car and like people just kind of told him like hey we want somebody to help with the royal protection team and he was like okay Cool, yeah, I can do that. I can drive, I guess. I can drive royalty. 
So he kind of acknowledged that nobody was really prepared or trained at that time to protect royal family to begin with. Once they eliminated all of the connections between Ball and the IRA, SLA, all of the freaking abbreviations out there in the world, he pled guilty to kidnapping and attempted murder. A couple of things that also came during the investigation kind of maybe speak to premeditation. So it's all great we are saying, you know, he's a martyr for mental health, all that shit. Like, yeah, he would have kidnapped her had he not died, you know, again, a couple, couple of things he didn't think through. But he also tried to destroy his identity. He used the name John Williams' attempt to destroy his identity by burning his passport and other personal papers before he carried out this kidnapping plan. He also went to Spain to buy the two pistols that he was using, rented a house that was suspiciously close to the princess and the captain, and also wrote the long ransom letter to the queen. At trial, different doctors obviously speculated that prison might not be appropriate for him, like he needs to be in a mental facility. There were multiple reasons why they have claimed this. So by any standards of medicine at that time, Mr. Ball was mad to complete this kidnapping and to, or to attempt to do it, to just attempt to kidnap the princess. He was still potentially suicidal and homicidal, still needed treatment, and there was a secure hospital available. To begin with, right now I think he is serving in Broadmoor, but to begin with he wasn't hospitalized in Broadmoor Hospital. And that is, well, at the time they have said that there was no space in there, however... <laughs> People have heavily speculated this is because Broadmoor was actually the closest to the location where Princess Anne was living at the time, so they were like, yeah, let's just not risk it. Like, he seems slightly obsessed, so they're like, yeah, here you go, to a different hospital, then maybe you, you get Broadmoor. It's not... Also, when it comes to Broadmoor, you don't want to end up there. Like, Silent Twins, Yorkshire Reaper, that God bless is dead now. God bless... <laughs> It's the worst of the worst that end up in Broadmoor Hospital. It's not really like a winning card, but maybe for him it would have been. So yeah, never give them what they want. Never. Also at trial, what came to surface is that he was actually diagnosed as a schizophrenic even earlier before the kidnapping and was given tranquilizing, tranquilizing drugs. As a trial came as, I don't know, as a surprise to me, but then if he is schizophrenic and he is this impulsive, it shouldn't actually come as a surprise. It just kind of defies everything to do with Ransom and him, like, being this Robin Hood who's gonna give to the NHS. Because he actually tried to destroy his identity. So he was trying to use the name John Williams now, which again is like more American than British, so you just speak to the person again. Attempted to destroy his passport and other personal papers shortly before he carried out this kidnapping plan. He also went to buy the pistols in Spain. So he traveled all the way there, rented a house in Fleet near Hampshire, near where Princess Anne lived at the time, and also, like, the ransom note that they have actually found in his car that was written for the Queen. So there was quite a lot of premeditation here. Quite a lot of premeditation, but not, like, postmeditation. He didn't plan, like, okay, so on the day when I actually approach Princess Anne, what do I do? Or, like, okay, where are these suitcases? Who is supplying the suitcases? How are we doing the math? How are we actually going to give this money then to the NHS? So, yeah. Just... Starting off as genius, there's, there's no, like, continuance into, like, him becoming an Einstein. Mm -mm. 
To wrap up this section on the aftermath, yes, they have improved the security, but as we know, this was before Fagan broke into the Buckingham Palace. So in 1982, again, the royal security is exposed. They just need to amp it up again. So the year after Fagan's intrusion, the Scotland Yard reorganized the royalty protection branch and placed James Wallace Beaton. Beaton, you, your man, you, you. And also all of the police constables, obviously, that have helped out here got the reward of Queen's Gallantry Medals. So, hey, here's, you, you almost died. Here's a medal. That's how it works. And remember the, the boxing guy? Yeah, that like literally like kicked the guy to the floor. Yeah, he had a mortgage paid off by the queen, which was just, ah, it was just, come on, that timing. Like, imagine you buy a house and then like suddenly on one day you're just like, hey, wandering around, you like slam a guy on the ground and you're just like, hey, the queen loves you that much so she pays you off your mortgage. I mean, that's a story that you tell your kids if nothing else. But timing, timing matters so much in life. Speaking of timing, the only thing that would happen to me today is being run off by a scooter. So if this episode doesn't come out, you just know why. Don't publish this episode. <laughs> this episode is gonna jinx it all. Yeah, I mean, if I, if, I, if I get found and I have actually been run off by a scooter in the most retarded death of all times, don't publish it. it it's not worth it. Also, it means that I predicted my own death. Just imagine. Wow, okay, on to happier topics. <laughs> timing, timing matters, everything. Okay, happier topics, yeah? This is what you said, this is how you announce it. As right now, we know everything about, like, the Scotland Yard budgeting stuff and shit, because, I don't know, now it's modern day and they need to reveal this shit. In 2010, the police revealed that they spent approximately £113.5 million on royal security. But then they made some cuts, so by 2012 the number reportedly decreased to 50 million. And uh, why was it reduced? Well, <laughs> Scotland Yard said that they slashed the monies dedicated to protecting non-working royals, because they're lazy bastards. So, Prince Andrew's daughters and, and nieces, Eugene, Eugenie, Eugenie, and Beatrice, you know, the, you know, the, the nieces from the wedding. Also, uh, the wedding that I mentioned that happened in 2010 last week, that was the Kate and William. I had to Google it, because I was like, it wasn't a funeral, was it? So, sorry again, royalty. It was not a funeral. It was a fucking wedding that nobody really cared about, but people did, because it was royalty, and He's going to be the next king or whatever. I don't know how monarchy works. Uh, obviously, Andrew is, you know, the, the scandalous one. So, yeah, he is involved in that um, Jeffrey Epstein whole thing. Well, or <laughs> judging by this, the royal family might do think that he is involved, as does the rest of the world. But Prince Andrew privately hired security to accompany his daughters because, again, he fears that what happened... What might have happened to Princess Anne years ago might happen to his daughters now. So, yeah. So I put, like, this kind of resolution backfired because, well, now the money is only dedicated to the royalty that's sort of that's still active and pretending like they love to be the part of the monarchy. I love how this century changed everything. People are rebelling more than they ever had. I mean, before, you only had, like, that Diana Camilla scandal and, like, that was it. Now, in the last, literally, like, in the past, like, five years, you have Prince Andrew, you have the Meghan and Harry shit. Everybody's just like, yo, what's happening with the royals? Like, everybody's trying to run away, escape that family. Like, yeah. 
every family has their dirty laundry. <laughs> My conclusions to this are just a killer. So, going into the background, we have Zilch on Iron Bale. Iron Ball? What's his name? We have Zilch on the guy that tried to kidnap Princess Anne, Iron Ball. However, I wanted to give you an outline of who Queen Anne is as a person. Because she's really undermined for all these royals. And she's like the one with skills and like actual sportsmanship. And is actually using her royalty to like do good deeds in life. And she's just so fucking underrated. Listen, Princess Anne, you're a bad bitch of this episode. Cool. So Anne, as everybody here knows, is the daughter of the queen. And, you know, the... Just as a reminder, Queen's kids are Charles, the scandalous one, the ugly one as well. God, that guy did not age well. Okay, um, not that he was okay looking when he was young. Yeah, okay, so, the royalty doesn't listen to this podcast, it's all cool, we're safe, this is a safe space. Then you have Anne, who is very undervalued for, like, the actual work she's doing. Like, also, like, just fucking bounce her off the crown like this. Like, hello, you can't fucking do this. Like, do and some, give and some credit, okay? Then Andrew, scandalous one in all the wrong ways. And uh, Edward, to which I said who? Like, I had to Google. I have never seen this guy's face. I have no clue. I love how the crown portrayed that Andrew was the favorite child of the queen and then the Anne was favorite child of Philip's. And boy, okay, Philip had more common sense. Cool. So, Queen Anne as a child. So she was born as the second child. A 21-gun salute in Hyde Park signaled the birth. This is so Balkan of the royal family. This is like some shit they would do in the Balkans. Like, we do it at weddings. It petrifies so many people. They're like, yeah, whoa, fire the gun. Like, my daughter is getting married. You're like, but why? What I mean, if you are in villages back home, people will still, like, do dowry and then you'll get a cow or something. So you'll get a gunshot and then a cow. Uh, this is a weird episode. Okay, so yes, just compare your Balkan village culture with a fucking royalty, don't you, Maya? Why do I have this irrelevant information here? So yeah, she was baptized in the music room of Buckingham Palace. Just give us away, give away all the rooms in it. And at the time of her birth, she was the third in line, in the line for the succession of the British throne behind her mother and the older brother Charles. And she rose to be second after her mother's accession. As of August 2019, she was apparently 14th in line. I have no idea how this works, but I don't know why she dropped to be the 14th in line. Like, surely now that Harry is out of the picture, because he ain't getting that shit. Like, is she not, like, closer? Like, she is the second person. So yes, it would be Charles, but then Charles might be dead. Come on, let's be honest. <laughs> let's be honest. So, will it be Camilla? Mm, just that whole scandal, I don't think that that would be good. Can Camilla even be the queen? They speculated that Diana could be the queen. I have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. To this, that she dropped in succession, I put, so that's a bummer. <laughs> so irrelevant. So, it's, it's just so irrelevant. Okay, cool. So, she left school in 1968 with six GCEs and 2A levels. I have no idea why, why this is relevant information. But she began to take royal engagements in 1969 at the age of 18. <laughs> to which again I put, I would personally be bummed out, but good for you. <laughs> no, this script is, is winning. It's so winning. I mean, I would be bummed out to, to witness any scenario, any royalties like, but good for you. 
Now, Queen Anne has the graciousness. That's the thing which I think people loved with Diana, but like with Queen Anne, it's just so underestimated. It's so sad. She has like, you know, the royalty and she does act all proper, but it's not forced. Like with certain members of the royal family, like, yeah, you're just trying. Like, you're just trying because you want, you know, you want to live this life, but like you also are not really, you know, you don't really belong. You don't feel like that energy. With Queen Anne, you're like, no. She, like, deserves this. She deserves the fucking crown. Like, she's still one of the few royals where I was like, no, like, give it to this bitch. Like, oh, I'll take it. Give it. Give it to Anne. What I didn't know is that in 1970, she actually had a brief relationship with Andrew Parker Bowles, who, as we know, ended up with Camilla, and then Camilla left for Charles. It's so cool. I had no clue. There were so many scandals in this fucking family, yo. <laughs> I kind of feel like this is why people are obsessed. Yeah, genius. Genius conclusions on this episode. But then afterwards, because she was, as we know, again, if you have watched The Crown or just if you follow royal family in general, she um, was very much into riding horses and she was doing it kind of professionally, to be honest. So she met her future husband, Mark Phillips, in 68 at a party for equestrians and horse enthusiasts. <laughs> and then, yeah, he made the acting captain, the irrelevant person. <laughs> And was appointed as a personal aide de camp to Queen Elizabeth II. Again, can't defend your wife, can't defend shit, stop it. She participated even in the 1976 Olympics in Montreal as the member of the British team, riding the Queen's horse Goodwill. Goodwill, that's, that's a chill name for a horse. I mean, very posh name for a horse, but chill. And then afterwards, obviously, once divorced from this uh, guy, she married Timothy Lawrence, commander in Navy. So, you know, she was into, like, the man of power, but, like, hopefully, you know, well, she's still married to this guy. So hopefully he is, um, you know, more common sense of a choice, more of a good choice. Yeah, yeah, I believe in you, and I, I put so much trust and belief in you. Cool. She appreciates it so much, totally loves this, loves everything you're saying, man, listens to it, takes it to heart. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't have time because the next whole last paragraph is about her fucking achievements. She has no time. This is why I respect her. Cool. So she's involved in about 200 charities and is in official capacity in all of them. She works for Save the Children, serving as the president between 1970 and 2017. That's like what? To try and do mapping head. 47 years. Yo. Mm-mm-mm. And has been the patron for them for over 50. She also visited like organizations, projects in different countries, including Bosnia and Herzegovina, which I found the weirdest part of it all. Especially because they were kind of involved in like the bombing of 1999. Not Queen Anne. No, no I'm not taking anything personally against you. <laughs> Did you just call her Queen Anne? Queen Anne, yeah, that's it, that's it. Like, according to me, she's next in the succession of the, for the throne. She has been given the crown. This is it. We have crowned a woman. She was even nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Kenneth Kaunda, president of Zambia. She initiated the Princess Royal Trust for Carers in 1991. She's the royal patron of this organization called WISE that encourages young women to pursue careers in science, engineering, and construction. She just understands women are bad bitches. She works extensively with St. John Ambulance and is involved as the commandant-in-chief for the cadets for the ambulance and has helped develop many young people, and she annually attends the Grand Prior Award reception. 
She literally, there's like so much more. <laughs> it's like insane. How does this woman, this is it. You have 24 hours in a day. And so does Princess Anne. And so does Beyonce. So what is your excuse? Cool. So she's a British representative in the International Olympics co- Committee, obviously because of her equestrian stuff. It's like all around. It's like helping people, but also being involved in sports. She was also, this is, I find random, but then again, if you're a princess and you have different interests, finally, you can do something about it. This is who I need to become. No, I will not become the princess. But like, I need to become some person in some power for finally my CV to make sense. Be like, no, 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 I'm into languages, but I'm also very much into true crime. I'm also like very much into, I don't know, walking. such a sports person so yes the random fact is that she was the president of BAFTA between 1973 and 2001 okay cool yeah I I have put a couple of more things but then my conclusion to this is basically respect the bitch respect Queen Anne she's the queen in my mind she will always be the queen in my mind so let's discuss the motives what motivated Iron Ball on that weird day to intercept the car and to try to kidnap the motherfucking queen Okay, so as I mentioned, there is one focus point for me this week, which can kind of be overridden by many things. It is mental health plus something else. For me, that's something else. Immediately, as I was reading like the first couple of articles on this story, I thought of Robin Hood. <laughs> and that was, that was it. I thought of Robin Hood. Like I feel this guy actually somewhere in the back of his head did have this plan. Like, he did want to help, like, other people with mental health issues because that was something, like, he was passionate about. He just had no idea how to go about it and wasn't just genius in actually planning it and, like, doing it. Anything to do with the planning. There are articles and articles online when it comes to just, like, the Robin Hood, is it a syndrome? Do we actually want to give to the people that are poor? And the kind of main conclusion is that people worry about poverty, but not just that some have less, but that some people have too little. These researchers at the University of California have actually conducted this whole ass research about this, where they kind of place the players in the game and they have told them like how each how much money each player has. But they didn't like tell them who has what amount of money and they were trying to figure out like who will they want to contribute to, who will they want to give money to. They said that people want to give rewards to the lowest member of the group and take away from the highest paid member of the group. Nearly 70% of the players reduced someone else's income at least once, and three quarters of them gave up a little to help someone in the weaker position. And this was consistent behavior, meaning that people did not decide later to just look out for themselves. But what this study couldn't determine is whether participants were handing out punishments because of the resentment over other people's wealth, or did they feel like they were being cheated? by the system, like the fact that they have been given less money. So they couldn't kind of like pinpoint really why, even when people expressed egalitarian vibes, they couldn't really like pinpoint on why it was just always prevalent that they wanted to take away from the rich and distribute equally and give to those who have too little. So was Ian doing the same thing here? I have probably called him Ian and Ian so many times, I have no idea. He was too irrelevant to make it to the publicity, which brings me to the second motive, which people, some people might think that he did this as a publicity stunt. I mean, come on, after all, it was a princess. 
it was in the public space, it was at Palmo, he could have done it at so many other places, he could have done it literally anywhere, why this place, why this location, because it's not like it was planned, and yeah, it was not like this master plan, it could have happened anywhere. And also, we have to ask the question, why the royal family? Again, he could have gone for, I don't know, prime minister, somebody in the government, somebody rich that was like, no, a celebrity. He didn't have to go for the royalty. And that's where that premeditation and the psychology of him actually being fascinated by one certain royalty member that we spoke about last week comes into play, because that's where everything was for him, the focus of it. Moving in close to them, calling the press office and knowing where this member of the family in particular is going to be. Also thinking like which way they might have used to arrive to Paul Mall. Because he probably stalked them. He probably knew like when they leave the place, when they don't, because he lived like in such a close vicinity to them. But what people aren't usually focusing on, and that is that Anne would have been a decent target for a kidnapping attempt because of her humanitarian acts. Because how since the age of 18 she was involved in helping out the royalty, she was involved in different charities. So sure, yes, not to the degree that she is today, however, she still began being involved in all of this. But what we need to think about is what stemmed out of it, and that is that there were no improvements made for the NHS, whether he really wanted it to happen, and whether he had a plan but just never shared it with anybody, which again is very doubtful, or he didn't. The only improvements that were made were really to the royal security and the security of the royal family, and that's where millions and millions of pounds went to. So as I always say it and wear it on my shirt right now, nobody wins, because uh, it kind of backfired, didn't it? <laughs> Had he maybe chosen a different method, maybe made awareness differently, but uh, no... Just like with Michael Fagan, it just backfired. It was like, yeah, no, let's protect the queen and like her kids. And then all of that money that should have gone the Robin Hood way and should have gone to the NHS and to people with mental health issues just uh, didn't, did it. How are you feeling, Ian? You're good? You're feeling good about yourself. But oh my god. But now that we came to that realization that nobody wins nothing ever (laughs) results in the way that you plan it, one more look at the time, look at the time, insane, totally have a watch. It's uh, it's your next Zoom call time. Going back to the beginning of this episode and the pet peeves story and the peeves poltergeist and you knowing everybody else's pet peeves. When you're looking at your people in those Zoom windows, yeah, you're like looking at them all stacked up and you just know every single person annoys you for a certain reason. But with every single one of those people, you're overlooking it and you're overlooking it because of something. Like, you know, that Karen from accounting, she has like an annoying ass laughter but she's like really good at her job and she makes like a sick coffee so you're like okay cool Karen once we go back to the office you know just don't laugh ever but I'll tolerate your laughter if you you know keep making this job like easy as fuck or you've got Peter who kind of doesn't really shower in the morning so it's like unbearable sitting next to him I'm really trying to think something that will make you overcome body odor issue but but he always buys you lunch. I mean, that, I think that would do it for me. I mean, it would be like living in smell, sitting next to somebody with bad body odor. But, you know, I'd do it. Like, if I never had to spend money on lunch. <laughs> 
point of the story being, even when you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to it for certain things, whether it is research, whether it is the way I tell the story, that is because I'm fucking hilarious. You know, it's probably not because of the voice or the accent or the production level. <laughs> so you overlook a couple of things and then you join in for, for the good time, right? <laughs> the same with other podcasts like there is each and every podcast that I listen to has something that annoys the living life out of me whether it is the way that they tell the story it is the laughter but I stick around for one thing or the other literally with every single one it's a different thing and that's why you stick around for the ride with your colleagues with the podcast with like anything in life and that's what your focus point needs to be for this week why are you overlooking it what is making you stick around but now until before while you're questioning that i'm gonna skedaddle out of here and make you thinking and working your way around making this world a better place one motive at a time bye fuckers oh wait i have a, a special exit prepared